Welcome to our first episode of this new podcast, Flourishing in Medicine, From Surviving to Thriving. I am your host, Dr. Mick Krasner, and this podcast is being produced by MPRO with over 35 years of experience as a regional medical professional liability insurance carrier. MPRO is headquartered in New York State and has been dedicated to protecting New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania's physicians, healthcare facilities, and healthcare providers. MPRO has also led the industry in peer support activities, and this podcast is yet another way in which MPRO is supporting the needs of physicians. We're really excited to bring to you our first podcast. I just want to talk, because this is the first podcast, a little bit about the purpose. And the purpose of this podcast is to explore ways that we as health professionals, physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, mental health providers, therapists, and others can truly flourish in the complex and challenging world of healthcare. Let me read something to you about what really our vision is. The ability of physicians and other health professionals to practice high quality care and attain professional satisfaction and meaning in their work has been under continued challenge. The effects of the pandemic on their well-being have only exacerbated changes that have occurred over the preceding years in the practice of medicine, exposing even further the fragility of our imperfect healthcare systems. This podcast will explore the many ways that we can learn to and do flourish, beginning with an exploration of what it means to work right at the frontier of human frailty and suffering, and to apply biomedical science and compassionate care to address the complexities of medical practice. Through conversations with thought leaders, practicing physicians, and other health professionals, we hope that listeners to this podcast will be inspired to become active participants in their medical communities and be motivated to reframe current challenges in ways that they can more effectively build a workable healthcare experience for themselves, for patients, and their communities. And today, we are fortunate and extremely pleased to have Dr. Ni Cheng Liang from San Diego, California as our first guest. Dr. Liang is the mother of two, wife, cancer survivor, pulmonary specialist, and mindfulness teacher. Dr. Liang is the Director of Pulmonary Integrative Medicine at Coastal Pulmonary Associates, affiliated with the Scripps Health Network. She also serves as an Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine, while volunteering for the medical student-run free clinic for uninsured patients. She attributes allopathic medicine and participating in clinical trials for saving her life from cancer, but integrative therapies such as mindfulness, meditation, acupuncture, and yoga for continuing to maximize her quality of life. She returned to medical practice after, after cancer treatment, really passionate about promoting physician wellness and teaching mindfulness to patients, healthcare professionals, and their students. She was voted as San Diego top doctor in the annual San Diego Magazine Physicians of Exceptional Excellence Survey in 2017, 2019, 2021, and 2022. And she was awarded the 2019 American Lung Associated San Diego Lung Health Provider of the Year and Outstanding Mothers Award. She is also the founder of the Mindful Healthcare Collective, an organization that seeks to provide free wellness sessions during the global pandemic and since, and co-host of the Mindful Healers podcast. So during today's conversation, we're going to share some of her inspirations for a life in medicine and the reciprocal relationship of the healer and patient. She talks about the challenges of the lack of time and spaciousness in our medical work and how mindfulness by helping her to be present seemingly opens the space and slows time. On the importance of meaning and joy in medicine, she describes joy and connection and gratitude as balms for wounds that are in healthcare. The Mindful Healthcare Collective that she created with her colleague, Dr. Jesse Mahoney, in response to the predictable effects the pandemic was having on health professional well-being continues to be one of many ways that Dr. Liang contributes to helping her colleagues flourish. In this podcast, she states 
to be a healthy, flourishing healer, we have to make healing ourselves part of our daily practice. Part of how she heals herself includes dragon boat racing with other breast cancer survivors like herself. Poignantly and inspiringly, she shares, there's something to be said about bringing joy and feeling empowered after the shared experience of suffering. And now, our conversation with Dr. Cheng Liang. Well, it's really exciting to see you, Cheng, and uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, with our Flourishing in Medicine podcast. Um, I'm going to try to ask uh, list, uh, uh, the interviewees, you and other guests, uh, kind of a similar question with each guest, because I'm really curious. I've, in my experience as a teacher, working with students, with practicing clinicians, with other health professionals, I've been really impressed by their um, the background story, sort of the, the source story of why they showed up in healthcare, why they decided to make this profession. What I've been really moved by uh, are poignant stories of um, personal experiences with suffering, personal experiences either in their own life, being ill or people close to them. And I would just like to ask you then to maybe if you could share us a story about any earlier profound experience that influenced this choice that really led you to healthcare. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your path, how you got to where you are now, starting way back whenever that started for you. I'm really honored to be here and I'd love to share about my origin story. So I will share a poignant memory from kindergarten. That was pretty much the first time that I knew that I wanted to be a physician when I grew up. We had a kindergarten play and I was assigned the task of playing a physician. So I have a little picture of me somewhere in the archives of five-year-old Ni Chang wearing a extremely long white coat because it was oversized with a microphone. And that was probably my earliest memory of deciding that I wanted to be a physician growing up, learning about the profession. And then also an early influence was that my aunt, who we had moved to Maryland after immigrating from Taiwan, we moved into her home with my uncle, and she was a physician in the Air Force at the time. And so for me, looking up to a woman who was Asian and American at the same time in an Air Force type position of leadership was really inspirational for me. And I think she was probably one of my earliest influences about wanting to become a physician, just watching her and wanting to be like her in some respects. And thank you, you know, for being inspired by, uh, a, a, especially at that time, a woman in medicine and a, and a woman in military in medicine, uh, quite uh, interesting. If you could for a moment, maybe go back to that kindergarten experience. You put on this, you don this white, long white coat that's probably dragging on the floor. Maybe you can't even see your hands because the cuffs are beyond your fingertips. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about like, what was the, um, what do you recall as the experience of that, both uh, physically, somatically, emotionally? What, what, what did it feel like to have that coat on for you? And even what, what were some of the thinking that was going on as you stood as a, as a kindergarten student uh, in the role of a physician? I remember being inspired by the profession and also that there was a sense of honor in donning this long white coat and what it meant, especially what it represented, especially for other human beings as well, um, that it was instantly recognizable uh, someone who could help as someone who was a healer. And uh, I immediately gravitated towards the aspiration for 
wanting to be able to be that in someone else's life. Mm, lovely. Um, so a lot has happened since that kindergarten time. A lot has happened since you first uh, watched your aunt and her career and inspired you and you went through school and multiple trainings beyond uh, imagination. Um, if, can you just maybe in a nutshell, right as a snapshot right now, because of course it's a moving target. What would, how do you, would you define your life's purpose? Um, kind of your why, uh, cause I know a lot of it has to do, or some of your work has to do with helping other physicians and other health professionals in particular, but what do you see as that kind of overarching sort of why for you? Wow. That's a really deep question, Mick. Uh, in a nutshell, I think that my soul is filled also when I'm able to alleviate suffering. And so it's not just the suffering of other patients with pulmonary ailments or someone that I can help improve upon their relationship with stress, but it's really just in general. So it's all comers. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. Um, if I can help in some way, it also is so rewarding for me as well. So it really is a reciprocal relationship. Um, I get a lot out of those human connections that are formed too in this healing relationship. You know, what I'm hearing uh, and what, I, what I'm thinking about from what you're saying is um, compassion is a big part of that, you know, attending to the suffering of others and doing something, taking some action. Uh, and that uh, often I'll, I think about how we are, we have evolved as a human species, being a social species to, this is a conserved part of our being is being compassionate toward others. Actually, it's as important to our survival as say the other aspects of the acute stress response, which you know very well, working in critical care sometimes, fight, flight, freeze. We've got this turning toward and con connecting, tendon befriend, we can call it. Um, and the way part, part of the way it's preserved in evolution is that, like you described, we, we feel good. Something happens. We are um, flooded with some neurohormonal chemicals that tell us this is a good and a right thing. So when, that, when you have those experiences, maybe can you just describe what is that feeling? What is that, uh, you know, real deep satisfaction, joy, which is probably different than, you know, the pleasure of eating ice cream or, you know, watching a good movie? There's a mind and body alignment that occurs when that happens, when you know so deep inside that this is what I was meant to do. And that in my body, that's a very mindfulness question. Um, it feels like the heart opening. Mm. There's a warmth. There is an alert, but calm, even and balanced focus. And there's also joy that's all mixed into it. When I work with someone who all of a sudden gets it for themselves, meaning that they realize they actually have the power to help themselves as well. I think that's probably the most gratifying experience <clears throat> as a physician and a mindfulness teacher that I have. You know, you mentioned joy. Um, and yeah, I think you and I both are really committed to that concept of helping others uh, find it, rediscover it, um, have more of it, let's say, in their work, especially our, our colleagues, our other physicians and other health professionals. Um, so as, as I want to shift to, you know, what it means to flourish in medicine, how we can, uh, how a, a conversation like this may help others as well. Um, what, what do you see as the greatest challenges that health professionals face today in terms of their ability to be energetic, compassionate in their work, to have attention, commitment, um, feel robust and alive in their work. Um, you know, what do you think some of those challenges are? What have you found yeah, in your work? 
Yeah, after having especially been intimately involved with the pandemic response uh, and then kind of coming into this integrated pandemic, I, I don't want to say post-pandemic because it's actually not over yet. I definitely have seen a highlight and emphasis on the lack of spaciousness within the profession. There's tremendous time scarcity. The lack of spaciousness, the time and space and resources to allow healers to one, heal themselves so that they can heal others and continue to heal others. And two, the lack of time and space and resources to be able to optimize that healing relationship with those that we are trying to help. I think that in a nutshell really captures what I've been feeling. You, you like I, have chosen at least as, as part of our healership toward our fellow health professionals is to use mindfulness as kind of a technology, we could say, or way of being to address that. Can you describe a little bit how um, the mindfulness approaches can uh, address this issue of time and space? Yeah, I find that practicing mindfulness enables me to truly be present with the patient. So allowing my mind and body to be there at the same time with my patient has tremendously been helpful for me in not feeling so rushed, even though there is the reality of time scarcity. Uh, each human connection, I can broach as an opportunity to practice mindfulness with them. And also, as I learned from you, using mindful communication and the active listening techniques of allowing the patient to simply tell their story and tell us as healers what we can do to help them. Oftentimes, if we give them a little bit of open space, especially in the beginning of the connection, the patients will tell you exactly what's wrong and exactly what they need, but we only need to hold space for them and listen. And so in this time scarce world of current modern medicine, I find that going back to the ancient wisdom that's found in mindfulness practice, helps me root back into connecting with my patient in a way that is still gratifying and not time scarce. And in fact, because I'm mindful, time seems to almost pause or elongate. Uh, there's an expansiveness when mindfulness is being practiced with another human being uh, that I really enjoy. And it's also quite necessary uh, as well. Otherwise, I don't feel like I'm able to be the most helpful healer that I can be. I just want to circle back to joy in medicine. You know, I'm thinking about the listeners listening to this podcast, and maybe we're making assumptions like, um, you know, when we talk about how important joy is in medicine. And so I, I'd like to articulate that and maybe give you a chance to articulate that. Why is it important to have joy and meaning in our medical work for us as health professionals? Why is it important for us and for our patients and for the teams and uh, systems within which we work? I think joy is one of the anecdotes to burnout, frankly. I think joy and gratitude and connection are all balms for wounds that are deep in healthcare. I think that it, unless it's cultivated intentionally though, it's not easily accessible. So in some ways, we also have to take ownership of our experience in medicine as well. 
and also be creative outside the box thinkers of how to practice medicine in a way that is in alignment for us, despite the current very real constraints, not just with time, but also with administrative burdens and billing and all of the other kind of more bureaucratic issues that are here in modern medicine and the modern healthcare system, but that don't necessarily have to take up so much space if we have the privilege and the luxury to be able to practice medicine in the way that we want to. So for instance, I recently just completed an integrative medicine fellowship and that journey has been largely inspired by my own journey as a cancer patient from when I was a second year fellow in pulmonary medicine. And I realized that I couldn't continue to give 200% every time that I was practicing medicine. I needed to take care of myself in order to take care of others. And having been a very active cancer patient for a year going through a clinical trial with five months of chemo and three surgeries, taking the year off from fellowship to heal both inside and out, coming back to medicine. And that was actually how I came upon practicing mindfulness was using that as something to help me heal more completely as not just a cancer patient, but as a healer, because the wounds there were very deep and they still, some of them are still there, but definitely in the process of healing. And in doing so, I also became an integrative medicine patient and it were, was some of the integrative medicine approaches that to this day continue to optimize my quality of life as a survivor. And so having completed my integrative medicine fellowship because of my experience as a cancer patient, now I'm able to incorporate education for the patients, self-management that goes beyond prescriptions. Uh, it goes beyond watch and waiting approaches. Uh, not to say that those very important approaches in medicine aren't valuable because they are, but they can be integrated, for lack of a better word, with adjunctive evidence-based therapeutics that have largely been forgotten in the very time-scarce reality of the healthcare system today, like the basics of the pillars of health, like nutrition as medicine, let food be thy medicine, getting quality sleep, stress reduction, moving the body, those basic tenets of foundational well-being, so important, but oftentimes doesn't get addressed in a, such a short traditional allopathic clinic visit. And so one of the more innovative, I'd like to think innovative for me, things that I've done in the last year has been to incorporate group clinic visits that have brought patients of all different diagnoses, actually. They don't have to have the same pulmonary diagnosis together in a room, which I'm really grateful to be able to do in this integrated pandemic era and allow them to connect while holding space for them and while providing some interactive education for them. Because oftentimes they realize that they're actually doing a lot more for their health than they originally had thought they were. And to be able to reflect that back to them and to have them become the educators also in this group clinic visit in sharing their own direct experience, I think is tremendously empowering and healing for them that goes beyond that of a one-on-one -on -one clinic encounter. So I get a new sense of gratification and it's a new sense of alignment for me when I'm leading these group clinic visits. So that's just an example of how we can work within the constraints of the system that are very real for many 
of us in medicine, but that we can also practice in a way that's in alignment for us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing what you're doing in, in those group visits and other ways that that cancer experience has uh, changed your healership. Uh, also, thank you for um, sharing that, that your illness, because, uh, you know, we're all human, we all have, uh, will encounter illness, aging, death, and those dynamics. And so to speak so openly about is really inspiring. Um, I wanted to just, well, I wanted to mention one thing, Paula Gardner, you may know Dr. Gardner from uh, Cambridge Health Alliance, who is a mindfulness teacher and also studies group visits. And she uses mindfulness actually in her group visits. Uh, and so she's a, a mutual colleague who you've probably run across her work, but our listeners might want to also look her up as well. Um, and the work she does in group visits. Um, you talk about the effects of that cancer experience and how you utilized integrative medicine, mindfulness, as well as traditional allopathic care for yourself and how that's translated into how you work with patients. Can you say a little bit about um, how it has motivated and inspired you as I've seen written about you, you to turn toward your colleagues and provide uh, something for them to help them flourish, to help them uh, build resilience and, and be, develop more joy in their work? The connection between what you just shared with the cancer and your treatments and that part of your life. So after the more intense parts of cancer treatment, I knew that coming back into medicine, part of my newfound identity and way of being was to share my story in hopes of helping others, coming back to the desire to alleviate suffering, knowing that I wasn't alone. Um, and yet I felt that stories like mine weren't being shared enough about bringing the real aspects of suffering as healers. Uh, we are all wounded healers when we talk about it and share. And so wanting to live more in alignment after my cancer journey, part of the living in alignment included sharing my story with other healers and helping them also come to realize the benefits of mindfulness and hopefully, and ultimately like on their own terms. So sharing ways that I have used mindfulness in my own practice and my own wellness maintenance routine, uh, and also just becoming a very intense student again through going through mindful practice teachers, retreats with you and also mindful space stress reduction training. It really galvanized and lit a passion within me to want to learn more about how to teach it and how to bring it to even more healers such that they might be able to also alleviate suffering for themselves and also for everyone that they come into contact with. So my values are compassion and authenticity and bringing my story and the mindfulness piece all integrated within it aligns greatly with my values. And so going into the pandemic now, fast forwarding 10 plus years, knowing that we as physicians were about 50% burnt out going into the pandemic, depending on subspecialty, but average was running around there. It wasn't gonna take a randomized controlled trial or any research to know that during the pandemic and after the pandemic, burnout rates were going to be higher. Like that was an implicit part of what we were about to delve into as a medical community. Uh, and so I put together this grassroots of friends and colleagues, really, that you were part of as well earlier on. 
where I had worked with them in some capacity or had known of their work. And luckily they were all very enthusiastic and generous with their time. And we put together the Mindful Healthcare Collective. And at one point we were offering anywhere from two to three free well-being sessions, inclusive of mindfulness, coaching, yoga classes, as well as emotional freedom technique, which is a tapping technique used to decrease the intensity of difficult emotions and also a helpful way to process difficult situations and emotions and bringing them to healers for free. And we still do that, just not as frequent. Uh, and we've been doing that now for three plus years, really honored to be the founder of that group and also to have worked with and continue to work with healers who are also seeking to heal the healers. Uh, and so that's another kind of arm of my, not necessarily identity, but kind of what I do and what I like to help flourish. Uh, and that brings an aspect of um, alignment and reward and gratitude into my own life that is also really fulfilling for me and feeds my soul as well. Yes, the Mindful Health Collective, I think, is a really innovative and very generous way that you and, and, and especially your colleague that you work closely with, Jessica Mahoney, um, offer uh, and also grow yourselves within. Um, can, do you have any examples uh, that you could share of, say, colleagues in that health collective whose lives have been enhanced by participation? I think our listeners would love to hear, you know, that it's possible to to be in groups of colleagues. That's one of the things that we're so um, impoverished for is actually having a collegial sangha, we could call it a collegial community, where we can not only uh, share uh, the technical aspects of our work, but actually the the aspects of meaning and joy. Yeah, I will share that with, for instance, the most continuity-based sessions that we've had have been actually the weekly yoga session, near weekly yoga sessions put on by Dr. Jesse Mahoney there has been kind of almost like a core group that show up every week. Uh, and so there is some comfort and connection, even if the class is done with Jesse teaching, having the same people show up and seeing those people practice from all over the world, actually. We have some members from Ireland and Canada, for instance, that join the classes. Uh, that in and of itself is really uh, joy-filling. Mm. Uh, and then for the more interactive sessions that we have had with emotional freedom technique, for instance, by Dr. Jill Wiener, uh, I've seen some pretty miraculous changes occur with one of those sessions and in working with healers who are willing to be vulnerable in sharing their suffering, and then having Jill literally tap them through processing a difficult situation, and then seeing the relief on their face. Um, over the few minutes of the tapping, it's very apparent from a physiologic standpoint, it's from body language, uh, that things are shifting. Mm. Um, and then from the mindfulness sessions, of course, we started holding something called T and B, which is about monthly, where some of the leaders of the Mindful Healthcare Collective would facilitate a session. And I started off one of these sessions with just basically a mindful exercise of tea drinking. And one of the participants commented that it was nice to have these regular sessions because it was giving her a sense of accountability, but also a sense of just coming back to a community with 
really rewarding connection and sharing that was deep and kindred uh, that I think has been missing in the last three years, especially with the social isolation that has been part of the pandemic experience for much of the world. Hmm. We're, we will definitely include the um, Mindful Health Care Collective in the show notes so that listeners, your colleagues among them, will be able to connect with that because it's such a great resource. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about your podcast, about the Mindful Healers podcast, what you're focusing on, what kinds of things would we likely uh, hear in conversations from that podcast? Yeah, so the podcast came out from the Mindful Healthcare Collective and also from the collaborative relationship that I have with Jesse Mahoney. So we talk a lot about direct experiences. Me and Jesse's lives are oftentimes the inspiration for our podcast episodes. And she's coached me during some of the episodes. So listening to coaching in action. Uh, and then also how we have brought mindfulness into different aspects of our own lives. We've also brought on guests. Hopefully, Mick, you will be one of our guests in the near future. And how they have applied mindfulness into their own lives. So we bring in different perspectives. And while it's named the Mindful Healers podcast, you'd think that it's for healers. I think that the breadth of topics that we cover from parenting to being a healer in today's world of modern medicine to being an entrepreneur, I think there are universally beneficial themes and topics that we cover. So thank you so much for helping to amplify the Mindful Healers podcast. We will definitely include that as well in the show notes. Um, so we're kind of coming to uh, close to the end and I did wanna do a little thought experiment with you. Um, I'd like you to think about as best you can what it would be like to be a patient. Let's start with that in an encounter with a health professional who is flourishing, who is energetic, who is compassionate and robust. And imagine what this experience would be like for you. And then I'd like you to just to share what that would be like on the receiving end. And then I'd like you to also imagine next, uh, as a health professional in a patient encounter, what would that experience be like for you to be flourish, flourishing, committed, energetic, compassionate, attentive, and robust. We could add mindful uh, to use our common language as well. Um, so both from the receiving end as a patient and also uh, when you are that physician, what's that like for you? What, what are those experiences like? On the receiving end as a patient to have a healer be in the active process of healing me, who's coming into the room, who is flourishing. I think that immediately, even before the first word is spoken, I'd have a sense of comfort and also excitement and anticipation about working with this healer who is coming into the room with such positive energy and warmth and desire to help. I think all of that can be conveyed without any words. So there is a sense of hope for me as a patient that I think in and of itself is also very healing. So on the flip side, as a healer who's flourishing, and while I'm not flourishing like all the time, because <laughs> I am human, uh, but I am grateful 
and feel very honored to be able to practice in an environment where I feel that I can practice medicine a vast majority of the time in alignment and on my own terms. I have a sense of purpose even before I walk into the patient's room. And when I walk into the patient's room, I can be genuinely, authentically warm and caring and inviting and unafraid to show up just as myself, imperfectly perfect in my wounded healer state in all of my authenticity. And that to me brings great joy to be able to show up as myself in that way. Mm. And, and even more excitement to work with them and to foster that very deep, rich human connection that I so enjoy. That's great. May, may we continue to have such experiences both from being a patient as well as working as a healer. Um, so one last question then, if there's anything you wanna add, feel free. Um, do you have any general or specific recommendations to people that you identify as your fellow health professionals, um, just about what could what could be helpful, what kinds of things they may wanna consider just to help them flourish in medicine? Definitely easier said than done, and it's been a practice uh, 10 plus years in the making, as I often still, despite having taken all these courses, some with you, Mick, um, I often still revert back to old habits that used to serve me well, but it was decades of ingrainment of striving for perfection and people-pleasing tendencies. So when that arises, and it's the mindfulness practice that has allowed me to notice when those habits arise and don't serve me today, I am in the practice now of being more self-compassionate. I'm really great at giving a lot of compassion to others, but it's gonna be a lifelong journey for me to be kinder to myself. Uh, and then to have judgment about not being kind enough to myself is like another layer of additional self-judgment. So just noticing all of that, um, that you're not alone, that there has been an indoctrination of unhelpful ways of being that we now, especially in this integrated post-pandemic era, can feel empowered to speak up and also to share and also to be kinder to ourselves when it arises. So I think the self-compassion cultivation piece is really important. And I think finally medical schools are incorporating more of that, but certainly when I went to medical school, it was, and even just well-being was not part of the curriculum. So I think to be a healthy, flourishing healer, we have to make healing ourselves part of our daily practice, whatever that looks like. And then lastly, also to give ourselves permission to do more of what it is that we want. I think we forget about our hobbies that we once had. Uh, and more recently in my shift this season of my life, it's been more about more family and what I want to do. And right now I'm focusing my efforts on dragon boat racing and playing volleyball again after more than 10 years. And that's been so fun and joyful. And in doing more of what it is that I like and want to do, I can show up as a healer, all the more warm and compassionate and authentic and energetic because I'm taking care of myself in a way that brings me joy. Well, that's great. Thank you. Uh, 
And, you know, you mentioned the Dragon Boat Racing. I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, maybe briefly, because I, I think it's very inspiring if you could just describe, um, you know, what happened in your trip to New Zealand and who were your team members? What, what was this team made of? I think that's also really inspiring, too. Yeah. So about um, four years ago, I was invited to join a all-women cancer survivor Dragon Boat team. So shout out to Team Survivor San Diego here in San Diego, my home team. Um, actually, because I was leading a mindfulness workshop for the Young Survival Coalition, which is a breast cancer support group for women who were diagnosed under the age of 40. And one of the participants came up to me because she knew I was a paddleboarder and said, hey, you should check out this team. And I had dragon boated kind of informally in college. And from a cultural perspective, as I identify as Chinese, Taiwanese, American, um, from a cultural perspective, dragon boating originated in China. So I was very much inspired to join this all-women cancer survivor team. So we race a couple times a year. I just got back from the Long Beach Dragon Boat Festival. We'll be racing in San Diego. And then the trip that you alluded to was in April, and that was from the International Breast Cancer Paddlers Commission Festival, which happens every three to four years in very exotic locations. Uh, I think the one before that, for instance, was in Italy, exotic for, for us Americans, <laughs> I should say. Um, and the more recent one was in New Zealand. And yeah, we had over 2000 paddlers that were breast cancer survivors from all around the world join us in this multi-day dragon boat racing festival. And it was a whole other level of camaraderie and connection. There's something to be said about bringing in joy and feeling empowered after this shared experience of suffering. That is really, that's really heartwarming and, and fulfilling. I feel like I've used the word fulfilling a lot, <laughs> but <laughs> that's really what it is. It's, it, it, it's really a lot of fun. And that's actually part of why um, I was late this morning was because I couldn't find my dragon boat paddle and I have practiced later today. So just being, <laughs> being real and being human and. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much. And, you know, really appreciate your honesty your openness and just your story it's inspiring um, I hope you know this is going to be an audio version of when we get as we get started but we will go video and I'm hoping maybe we'll bring you back at some point in the next year with maybe with Jesse the two of you have you as guests with a video where we can uh, continue the conversation especially around the mindful health collective healthcare collective Thank you all for listening to the podcast. We will include a summary of today's podcast and links to Dr. Cheng Liang and other references that were discussed in the show notes. I would like to conclude today's podcast as I plan to conclude each subsequent podcast with some practical exercise to help you flourish during your work. The intention is for you to have a toolbox of skills that you can draw upon to enhance purpose meaning and well-being, things that you can incorporate into your workday. Today, I'd like to introduce to you a brief contemplative practice that you can do from time to time that takes no longer than the space of a breath or two that can help bring you to a present moment's awareness of the activities that you are engaged in with the objective of enhancing your sense of purpose and meaning. It's a well-known practice. You may have heard of it. It's called the STOP practice. That's right. STOP, S-T-O-P. Perhaps you're familiar with it. Basically, S-T-O-P is an acronym in this practice, and it stands for the following. S for stop. T for take a breath. O for observe. Observe what's actually going on. What is your present experience? And P, proceed. I used to use this practice when I was in clinical practice um, regularly, 20 plus times a day, every time I'd enter into the room of a new patient 
or enter into a new encounter, placing my hand on the handle of the door, noticing the contact, and then engaging in this one breath practice. So let's do it together. Even though you're listening to this podcast, um, take a figurative stop in this moment and take a breath and observe what's going on and then proceed. So this is a practice that you can do when you're entering the patient's room, when you're beginning a phone call, when you're um, responding to a MyChart message, when you're having a conversation or beginning to enter a conversation at home with your loved ones, um, when you're in the supermarket, uh, many, many opportunities to do this practice. I hope you find this simple exercise useful to you and look forward to having you join us for our next episode of Flourishing in Medicine from Surviving to Thriving. For more information about MPRO, please visit www.myempro.com. For more information about me and my work, please visit www.mickkrasnermd.com, M-I-C-K-K-R-A-S-N-E-R-M-D.com, or www.mindfulpracticeinmedicine, one long word, mindfulpracticeinmedicine.com. See you next time.